gotta pay the tab. You, you gotta, gotta pay, pay the, the tab. tab. Hi, I'm Tony Tolbert. And I'm Adam Rudinsky. Welcome to Pay the Tab, where we make the case for reparations, one story at a time. Each episode, we expose the story of racial injustice. Then we explore creative ways to make it right. It's been long enough, America. It's time to pay the tab. So we've talked in past episodes about the racial wealth gap in America. White families today, on average, have 10 times more wealth than the average black family. 10 times as much. Wow. All the centuries of slavery and racist policies have added up, and they're staring us in the face today. Yeah, and we just learned that there's another shocking gap in America, and that's the racial sleep gap. Right. Scientific studies show that the average white person gets about seven and a half hours of sleep every night, as compared to the average black person who only gets six and a half hours per night. So a full hour less. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And some studies show that the gap is even worse than that, that black folks are getting two hours less sleep per night. What's also frightening is black people are five times more likely to get under six hours of sleep per night, which is dangerous. Yeah. So this is, this is serious stuff. Very serious. Yeah. I mean, sleep is a necessity for all human beings, right? And not getting enough sleep can be deadly. Studies keep showing that not enough sleep, especially less than seven hours on average, can lead to serious health problems. High blood pressure, hypertension, mm -hmm. obesity. Yep. You, you're much more at risk for car accidents from drowsy driving. Yes. And, you know, over the long term, not getting enough sleep can make you more likely to get dementia and even a shorter lifespan by a matter of years. Right. So all this means that black Americans today are facing all kinds of extra health problems mm. just from getting less sleep. Right. So where does this sleep gap even come from? I know our country has a terrible history when it comes to black people and sleep. That's for sure. Right. And it really goes all the way back to, to slavery times. And for over 250 years, most black people in America had their bodies treated like machines. Mm -hmm. uh, they were owned by other human beings. Uh, they're legally owned by law and didn't have dominion over their own bodies. And enslavers would work people for maximum profit and nothing else. Mm -hmm. People were worked from dawn to dark and often beyond with no rest. People were worked to death, uh, literally. And, you know, enslavers would use torture, would use sleep deprivation experiments. They would use low sleep as a punishment. And the powers that be used the made up lies of race to justify all this horrific treatment. But okay, so slavery did end a long time ago, right? Why is there still such a huge difference in the nightly sleep that white and black Americans get today? Yeah, that's a good question. And thankfully, we have the perfect person to answer. And that's Dr. Dana Johnson. Dr. Johnson is an epidemiologist and leading expert on the racial sleep gap. She's based out of Emory University in Atlanta and has devoted her entire career exploring how environment affects our sleep. Um, her studies look at the impact of America's racism on black people's sleep. When we sat down with her, Dr. Johnson broke it down, right? All the systemic poverty, segregation, and discrimination that takes a huge toll on, on our sleep. She also discussed how even when black people get higher education and income, they still can't escape the sleep gap. There's a whole new set of problems that arise from being proximate to white people. Yeah. And she shares some great ideas on what we can do to start getting some sleep and closing that gap. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Johnson as much as we did. So Dr. Johnson, welcome to Pay the Tab. Thank you, I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to talk to you. And uh, you know, Tony and I have been talking about sleep and reparations, and we're, we're really excited to have you because you're on the cutting edge of all this research. And you know, in particular, the effects of racism on people's sleep. Sleep is my thing. I am a sleep epidemiologist. Every project I work on involves uh, studying sleep or the con either the determinant, so the reasons why people have poor sleep or sleep mm -hmm. disorders, and then I study the health consequences. So it's probably fair to say that many of us grew up hearing how important sleep is, right? Get your eight hours, you know, whether it's to be, mm -hmm. you know, alert in school or, you know, prepared for your job or whatever it is. Um, We've heard that. So we have some general understanding of why, you know, sleep is, is, is important. 
Yes. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to back you up a little bit. Sure. The piece that I, I think it's really important, if you understand nothing else about sleep, is it's connected to everything, mm. our mood, our so our mental health, our physical health. Um, so when we sleep, there are an important physiologic activities that occur that make us be able to live our everyday lives. So whether it's, um, it's necessary for our learning and our memory. So when we sleep, this is when our memories get consolidated. And so this is why it's not good to do an all-nighter for mm. students. You're mm. not going to remember it. So you're better now off. Now you tell us. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. A little late now, right? <laughs> but this is actually when we have healing. We have a boost in our immune system when we mm. sleep. Mm. And so we have data that shows the more sleep someone gets, the, the risk for um, a cold or another virus actually decreases. Mm, mm. And also in terms of our, if we think about our cardiovascular system, it's important for managing our blood pressure. So when we sleep, we have healing and repairing to our blood vessels. Our blood pressure dips at night. So it has this resting state, which is important mm. and, and, and part of uh, preventing hypertension. Uh, and then lastly, I'll just give the example of um, uh, drowsy driving. Mm. So drowsy driving is as detrimental as drunk driving. So people mm. falling asleep right. while they're driving causes um, a number of accidents. And so we can also see those same accidents or occupational hazards at work when people are sleep deprived. So that's a number of examples of yeah. showing um, activities that occur during our, our sleep cycle that make it necessary for us to be um, good citizens and have a health, a healthy body and a healthy mind. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's deep. Uh, and I guess the a corollary to that is like real tangible impacts of bad, poor, or, or, or low sleep, right? Including shorter lifespans, right. if, 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 if I'm not mistaken, right? There's studies that have shown that. Yeah. So people who sleep less than seven hours, adults who sleep less than seven hours on average, have a higher risk of mortality mm. and an early, mm. uh, earlier uh, mortality than the life expectancy. That's real. That's real stuff. Yes, and it's it's really scary, right? You don't you didn't learn this. We you know we no. are, we're taught about nutrition in school. We we have recess. We have all of these things, and for some um, kindergartners, they may have nap time and so on. But the importance of why we sleep and how we should sleep and so on. It's not emphasized enough. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how little we're, we're taught about that when it's such an important thing for all of our health, right? And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say right. that even less is said about sleep and race, right? right. I mean, you, you're one of the pioneers right now, and mm. this is stuff that is just uh, knocking our socks off uh, the, the more we read. Right. Um, one thing that, that, that jumps out is the almost one hour difference in the average sleep of black Americans and white Americans, right? Right. Just shocking, like basically what, roughly six and a half hours versus seven and a half hours. And that's just, that's crazy. That, that's like a lot of sleep. It is. <laughs> Every single it night. Is. And, and it's, it's, I had no idea. Yeah. Right. And that one hours on average, we have seen other studies that have shown up to two hours difference. Mm. Um, and we're talking about actual measured sleep. We're not talking about what someone may say, how they sleep or how many right. hours they have shorter sleep duration, worse sleep quality, mm -hmm. and also a higher risk of sleep disorders like insomnia. And on mm -hmm. top of that, we see not only do they have more severe sleep disorders, but they also occur at an earlier age mm -hmm. than their mm -hmm. white counterparts, okay. which translates to a longer duration. And as I mentioned, mm. you know, just a few minutes ago, we talked about how sleep is connected to all these different health outcomes, right? It's associated with um, cardiovascular disease, with mortality, with cancer, cognitive mm. decline. So think about these individuals who are disproportionately affected by poor sleep, having this longer duration, who also have higher risk of these other health outcomes that we're talking about. We asked Dr. Johnson about what causes this huge difference in the sleep that blacks and whites get. And she broke it right down to structural racism at the wide society level. So what we hypothesize is that 
the root cause of sleep disparities is really structural racism mm. and the structure in which our society is built, you know, promotes certain behaviors and opportunities for some individuals and restricts and limits it for other individuals, right? And so we see that those who work multiple jobs, they're the ones that are working um, low uh, wage positions and or minimum wage, right? Which is a low wage in general. So minimum wage is not a livable wage. And so then you're forced to work multiple jobs in order to make a living, think about someone that has a family, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're doing this, you don't have the opportunity for sleep. And so you're more likely to um, have other health risks and conditions. And we even talked about the simple example of a code. And that's what we saw during the height of the pandemic of COVID-19. Those that were getting the least amount of sleep were the ones that were most likely uh, to have COVID. And so, that really it really restricts us in terms of in terms of wages being connected to our opportunity for upward mobility uh, mm-hmm. and our sleep. Can, can we just back up real quick because you you mentioned a term Absolutely. that I know is uh, is a key with a lot of your writings and, and research, which is structural racism, sure. right? And yep. and yes, we, yes, we, uh, it might be helpful um, if we can just like lay out what that means exactly to, for your work, structural racism, and then we could talk a little more about, you know, how that affects uh, the sleep that Black people get in America. Yes, yes. So um, structural racism is a term that refers to macro level conditions. Um, really, it's the totality of ways in which society fosters racial discrimination through mutually reinforcing systems of um, housing, education, mm. Um, credit, healthcare, employment, even our criminal justice system. And so when, um, so this happens through laws and budgetary decisions Mm -hmm. that um, shape those systems that I talked about, our housing environment, our healthcare system, um, our educational system, and then that can affect um, our health. And so a very common example is redlining. Mm-hmm. And so redlining is this, um, these laws or practices that was used by banks that determined uh, whether an area was deemed um, worthy of investment. Mm-hmm. And so if you lived in a literally red line environment where black and brown people were most likely to live, you were uh, deemed not worthy of investment. So those areas were not developed. And so the reason why this matters is there's several reasons, but two in particular is because our neighborhood environment can determine our our career path. So that's the amount of dollars that um, is spent in the education system. So whether or not you get a quality education will determine if you can go to college or not, which will determine the type of job that you have. So that's one pathway. The other is the environment in which you live, what we breathe will determine our health. And so if you're in a neighborhood where these red line um, areas were, they had um, more bus stations. So we're now talking about air pollution Mm -hmm. um, from public transit. Um, They also were more likely, um, so in addition to that air pollution to have um, more crime, also lack of sidewalks, lack of social destinations for you to, um, whether it's physical activity or Mm -hmm. um, resources like hospitals and healthcare, Mm -hmm. you were forced to go to other areas. Now go, now tie this together with working multiple jobs. So you have time to take buses to go see your primary care doctor who, you know, could be 20, 30 minutes away, saying for the children and trying to get to school. So the structural racism in in this example I'm giving redlining really determined and contributed to what we call the wealth gap, which is closely tied uh, to our resources and um, in terms of education, health, and so on. Dr. Johnson also talked about the effects of racism at the individual level and its impacts on Black people's sleep. 
there are still individuals that are perpetuating these same stereotypes and discriminating against individuals. And so that's where we we have workplace discrimination, right? And so we can see this through different systems. And so that contributes to higher stress levels for for Black people in in particular. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about these stressors of structural racism, as well as interpersonal discrimination, so uh, your interactions um, with with individuals on a personal level, Mm -hmm. that all can cause, that gets under our skin and raises our stress hormones, which activates our stress response system. And so imagine regularly being on alert throughout your day and that's contributing to high blood pressure and also can affect our sleep and so on. And I hear in some of the studies that we do, we bring people in and we ask about their experiences, qualitative research uh, through focus groups. And so when they talk about our participants, about their experiences with with, uh, racism or discrimination, they talk about ruminating. So, uh, you know, going to sleep at night, Mm, mm. thinking about those different interactions that occurred. And for some, they talk about how they should have responded, but didn't. Mm. And we have others who talk about um, preparing to go to the doctor's office Mm. the next, you know, if they have an appointment the next day, how they need to study. They need to uh, make sure they sound like they know what they're talking about in order to be taken seriously, right? Mm. That's still a form, that's a form of racism, For sure. discrimination that we have in the healthcare system, right? And that's not to um, also uh, dismiss things like microaggressions, right? So we're not, this isn't just a low income situation. This also affects people of higher income. Mm-hmm. And in fact, for black individuals and some Hispanic Latino groups, those that have higher socioeconomic status actually have worse sleep. And so we point to things like microaggressions, being the minority within their neighborhoods, being the minority at work, right? So whether you are in this um, this higher, um, this position of higher status at work and people say, oh, that's so good you graduated college. Why is that so good? That's what we call a microaggression, right? Sure, right? And so when you regularly encounter this or being mistaken as the admin instead of, you know, the individual in the C-suite, right? So those are all, you know, factors that are contributing in different ways to the stress level, this unique stress that's additive to general stressors that all people experience. You know, let's let's drill down on that a, a little bit. Um, I don't know if you coin sure. this this coined this term or if someone else did but the you know John Henryism syndrome um right oh yes i um i i was not the uh person who coined it okay. yes john henryism all right well we yeah. we were try, trying to give you credit for that but uh um <laughs> the way that works is that we understand it is that black achievement leads to worse sleep for the reasons that you just articulated that the the more i guess the more yes. pro, the more proximate that we are to to whiteness, right? The more opportunities we have to be bombarded with some of these micro microaggressions or or mm-hmm. macroaggressions or 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 you know whatever they may be, and that this achievement right. um, works for Black folks in in opposite direction than it works for white people. It seems like, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so the the term was uh, coined by Dr. Sherman James who um, was actually a professor when I was at Michigan. And you have explained it um, perfectly. That's exactly it. And we see that in in our studies that um, individuals that are of higher education, they are faced with these these different stressors. And also, um, in addition to that, there's also this idea of having to work harder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in order to get the same respect um, as your white counterparts. So you're working longer hours and, and, and taking on more. Um, in academia, we call it the minority tax. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with that, where because you're the minority, you're asked to serve on certain committees. Um, because they want representation, but it's mm. not enough of us right. uh, to serve on all these. So you're you're <laughs> on more committees. Students feel more comfortable coming to you. So you often are also a therapist in addition to a professor, right? 
So those all fit, you know, under that domain of stressors that are unique to um, Black individuals of higher SDS, socioeconomic status. Right, right. And My, if I could just oh, talk yeah. about one Please. other term, in addition to John Heriism, there's also the strong Black woman schema. Have mm. you heard of um, yes that that phrase? Yeah. Yeah, but please. Do you want to talk about it? Or? Yeah, please, please, please share. Yeah, so John Henryism, as as Tony mentioned, um, was uh, modeled um, um, based on a, a male, and so there's there's another term, the strong black woman schema, um, which talks about the unique stressors of a black woman and all that uh, she has to carry as a black woman, and while managing how she is received. So not being too aggressive, right? But, you know, not being too soft, but having to manage and oftentimes be the head of household, um, as well as managing the perceptions in society. And, um, you know, one law that's actually pretty recent, which is also said, is the um, crown law that made it illegal mm. not many years ago uh, to discriminate against a black woman for her hair. Right, right, right. Like this is something post two thousand mm. that we're talking about women being black women in particular um, encountering mm. discrimination because they wear you know their hair in a natural state or in braids or whatever. Um, so those are all unique stressors to black women of a certain status. Yeah, I get it. Um, so on a on a personal note, um, you know, I I grew up in predominantly white white spaces, right? So un, unlike mm-hmm. you, Doctor Johnson, we actually lived in the suburbs. We were one of the few black families who lived mm-hmm. in the San Fernando Valley outside of Los Angeles. Uh, and I can remember from an early early age, my parents instilling in us that you know, look, you know, you're going to get called names, you, you're going to get mistreated. There's going to be some some mess that you, you just have to to deal with and move through. But your job is to excel at every opportunity. Right. And this was back in the day where, you know, after you get your exams back, the teachers would write your name on the board if you perform well. And my job was to be on the board, somewhere on the board and maybe right. not, not at the top every time. And so I internalized that and didn't had no idea that there was a, a name to it or or a syndrome or whatever. But 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 it certainly was part and parcel of what it meant to be black in a predominantly or all white space. And I'm 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 curious if you're yeah. comfortable sharing how has that, if at all, how has that played out in, in, in your life and your career? Yeah. Um, so similar, similar experience. Um, I think we have particularly having parents of a certain age that, um, and their parents not having the same opportunities that we've been granted. Mm -hmm. Um, they instilled the importance of make sure you perform well, right? Like you are, it's a privilege for you to be here. Mm. And I actually think that's a bit of a, a disservice. Mm. I, I understand why they did that, but it does add this additional pressure of you must perform um, well. And it was designed as this protection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had similar experiences with, um, you know, my parents expected that I would do well, right? It wasn't this, um, oh, you know, if, if you go here, it's mm-hmm. college was never an option. You know, it was something that was going to happen. Right. I was going to go to college. I was going to, you know, do well. Um, and I was given the same talks and not only to perform well, but make sure I behave appropriately. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, Absolutely. not to have a teacher call home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we can see this present day, which is why this is this conversation is so important. Important um, because oftentimes, you know, th- something small can happen, but the consequence for a black or brown individual is going to be far worse, right? And we see right. this, you know, whether it's a small, you know, I was in middle school, people got into fights, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was mm-hmm. fine, teacher broke it up, you maybe suspended, but now they're calling the police, right? Right. right? Like, and so we see this in more predominant white spaces where our black and brown tr- children are being treated as adults yes. and, and seen as threatening when they are not. Right. And it's hard to have that. And as you were telling this story, you know, I, I tensed up a little bit uh, because our, our kids have to grow up mm. so fast and learn about things that um, they really shouldn't. But it's important to have those conversations 
you know, uh, particularly around all the police brutality that we've seen and with the highlight of Mm -hmm. George Floyd's murder. Um, So how to interact with the police. Um, So I'm seeing this with my friends who have young men where they're having this conversation, even before their sons are able to drop. They're talking about what to do if you encounter the police. You know, these are they, these are stressful events, right? Can't possibly be helping people sleep. Everything you've been talking about. And it's about, not right? going to mm-hmm. help you sleep, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. are, so we thought, right, the higher education and income, you know, that will give us better health and so on. But when it comes to sleep for Black individuals, that's not the case. And so you, you know, you've done well, as we would say, right? And mm-hmm. you afforded, you know, you can afford to live in these nice neighborhoods. But for some, it's as scary as living in a crime-ridden neighborhood, right? Right, right. And so although we're there in these spaces, there's still a level of vigilance. And going back to those focus groups around uh, discrimination, racism, and sleep that I've conducted, you know, we had high-earning Black men talk about still sleeping with lights on Mm. because they are fearful and they want to ensure you know, they, it's the one is carrying forward childhood experiences. And then the other is still, you know, operating under some level of fear. It just looks differently now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that actually reminds me and a quick aside of one of our prior episodes, we did a a two-part episode on the Tulsa race massacre and Mm. we were really fortunate and blessed to interview uh, Hughes Van Ellis, uh, known as Uncle Mm. Red, who's one of the three remaining survivors of, of the massacre. Wow. Um, he was, he was just a baby at the, at the, at the time, but his older sister, Viola Fletcher, I think was four or five at the time. And he shared that to this day, she still sleeps upright in a chair in the living room because she's afraid of what, what might happen yeah. that that might happen again, that she needs to be ready to, 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 to bone out of there if she has to, this is yeah. over a hundred years later. And he says she has right. not slept in her bed over the course of the last hundred plus years. Um, which is just right. so maddening and frightening and, and harrowing. It all is. It is. It's, it's, it's very sad. And it points to our experiences really having long lasting effects. And so whether our interventions, of course, as adults, we need intervention, but points also to addressing adverse childhood experiences, which we call ACEs. And so we have data showing that it's associated with sleep. And um, I have a doctoral student who published um, just last year um, a study showing how um, the childhood or uh, sleep in childhood can predict um, the sleep of adults, uh, your sleep as an adult. So when we have these adverse experiences, these traumatic experiences, they can have a long lasting effect on our health, in particular, our sleep. And so the story that you just shared is is, is so um, pivotal to this um, conversation around um, how these traumatic events can affect our sleep mm-hmm. and our ability to live our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting that that sleep at night and you're in this state of vigilance yeah. is really what, what she is in, that's going to affect how you interact throughout your day. Mm, mm, how right. can we have a great quality of life when we're battling, you know, that, that, or trying to deal with that same trauma? So, so you, you mentioned some environmental causes or factors that lead to um, poor sleep or low sleep. Um, you know, there are others that we've, we've come across in your research, um, such as, you know, pollution or violence or, over-policing, yes. right? L- lack or, or limited right. sense of order and peace. Can you help, you know, break that down for us, please? Yeah. So um, our neighborhoods are constructed of both so- the social environment as well as the physical mm-hmm. environment. And so when we're talking about the physical environment, we're talking about, you know, um, factors such as the presence of sidewalks. We're talking about intersection density, uh, population density. And we see that the more dense these environments are, particularly in urban uh, places, it promotes more air pollution. And air pollution is associated with sleep disorders such as sleep apnea. And so the pathway is really how um, pollution 
uh, gets into the air and can obstruct our airway, right? So if we're inhaling pollution, it can it can cause inflammation and that can cause an obstruction, which will uh, narrow the airway and it makes it harder to breathe when you lay down at night. And so you have um, apneas or hypopneas, which results, which are really um, stops or you stop breathing during your sleep cycle. So several times um, per hour of your sleep cycle, you can stop breathing. And one of um, the the ways in which that happens is through living in an environment that, that has more air pollution. And so that's the physical environment. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of what I study is the social environment. And so we've looked at um, factors such as violence uh, and crime. We've pulled uh, police reports and we found that individuals that live in neighborhoods with more crime, they're more likely to report sleepiness, uh, daytime sleepiness uh, mm-hmm. through their day. And it's likely um, caused by vigilance and so on. Um, and then the other piece is health promoting factors. So we talked a lot this last hour, a lot about risk factors, but the other piece is what we call resilience factors. These are things that are good for our sleep. And so we found that people who live in safe neighborhoods and also those that um, live in neighborhoods of high social cohesion, so the con- the connectedness of their neighbors, so knowing your neighbors, mm. trusting your neighbors, that actually uh, can result in a higher um, higher social cohesion and better sleep. Mm. So more particularly for Black individuals, we found that those that live in areas where they trust and know their neighbors, they sleep 15 minutes longer on average wow. than someone who doesn't. And so, you know, taken together, you know, the neighborhood ha- has many features um, that um, can either help promote healthy sleep or it can actually hinder right. um, our sleep. One thing that, that jumps out about all these different factors you've talked about, about what affects black people's sleep is that they're all socially created, right? They're, they're all sort Absolutely. of, uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're external. And, you know, that leads to something which um, is a subject for some future episodes in our podcast. We're definitely going to get into the you know, the fiction of race, why it was invented, how it was invented, how it has come to, you know, yeah. dominate our country. Um, but but what what really jumps out when we're talking about these studies of, you know, black people's sleep versus white people's sleep, we're, we're not talking about biology and genetics, right? <laughs> we want to be clear about that because mm. I, yes. I know even among, uh, I shouldn't say even, but among academics and scientists, there there's quite a bit of uh, let's just say a murkiness on that subject, mm-hmm. right? And, yes, and so, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it sounds like you've right. always talked about and written about, you know, these are these are man-made problems. This isn't something oh, absolutely. about. Yes, Adam, and thank you so much for bringing that up. And, and we really, I should have tackled that earlier. When I talk about race, I'm talking about race as a social construct. I'm talking about the experiences of individuals based on their skin color. I'm not talking about ancestry or biology, we're talking about the pure social construct. So really what we're talking about are experiences of racism or discrimination Mm -hmm. that uh, people encounter based on how they present to society. You're black, so you're discriminated against, right? So that's, um, that's exactly right. Great. Well, we're we're very respectful of your time, and we're not sure how much uh, how many more minutes we can get out of you. But we definitely want to talk a little bit about reparations before yes. we uh, before we let you go. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk reparations. That's what Pay the Tab is is about, right? So um, we want to identify some ways that we can start fixing these problems, right, and closing that sleep gap. Yes. Um, yes. And you you say that eradicating the gap requires dismantling the root causes of structural racism. Right. That yes. we, unless until we get underneath it and, and down into, into the dirt, we're not going to make that happen. So, you know, you mentioned housing segregation as one critical area. Um, you know, Absolutely. what are what are some ideas that you've you've heard to come across about how, you know, we can address that particular issue? This is so important. And so as we talked about with segregation, as we talked about with working multiple jobs, right, the the minimum wage is a non-livable wage. Mm. These are all economic uh, things, right? So Mm -hmm. all of this is contributing to our wealth gap and it can be addressed. 
through economics, rewarding people appropriately, right? And so there are many ways um, that this can happen. And I think my my economists uh, colleagues have it best. I've seen studies where they have started funds for children. Um, so these are, are, are mainly low income families that were part of this study where they deposited, um, I think, a thousand dollars at birth. And we see over time how that has multiplied and those students or, or children are doing um, far better than the those in the control group that did mm. not have the same economic advantage. And so the same comes um, to housing. And so many um, black and brown individuals are not able to buy homes because of um, discrepancies in wealth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I can I can just give an example about this, 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 um, the importance of wealth. And so I, I have um, a colleague in my department who makes the same amount of money that I make. We have houses that are valued the same. Uh, but the difference is her parents, you know, gave her a down payment or mm. um, there was a house that was given that accumulated. Whereas, you know, my husband and I paid our own down payment. Right. Mm -hmm. So just off the pure start she has more wealth than I have, right? right? Although we make the same amount of money because she was advantaged mm -hmm. or I was disadvantaged at birth, right? So if we can tackle some of that through reparations is important. And so if we can start to tackle uh, that wealth gap, it can help improve sleep. It can help improve quality of life, mm. whether it's actual financial incentive um, or if it's um, paying college tuition for individuals, paying certain um, deposits of um, down payments or for houses, or even for those that may be in apartment. But these are all programs that um, can and have been shown to be successful and just leveling the playing field, right? And so I think that's the other important piece to note when people talk about sometimes equity is being used mm. against individuals. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is make it fair across everyone. So some of us are gonna need a little bit, some of us are gonna need a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And if we just go back to this housing example. And so I, I talked about how where we live determines our educational experience. So we know that inner city schools have a smaller budget than the schools in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because of the tax dollars. So the houses cost less, so there's less money that's put into the school system. So if that is your experience, you go to a school that is um, not as great as, as uh, another school, then your educational experience is a, a bit disadvantaged, right? So that limits your opportunities for whether it's college or not, whether it's a uh, vocational school or not, the type of job you can get. And then we know the type of job you have determines your income, mm -hmm. which will determine where you live. Right. So you see, this is a vicious cycle for those that are disadvantaged. So if we can intervene in that cycle, whether it's investing more in a neighborhood. I'm not talking about moving people, right? Mm -hmm. There's studies that have shown moving individuals are not the answer. We don't see a ton of benefits from just moving people. Mm -hmm. But what we do see benefit from is changing the environments in which people live, mm -hmm. not gentrifying the area and moving people out and bringing new one in, changing the environment for the individuals that live there, whether it's um, creating green housing, that has been shown. There's a community called the Purpose Driven Community. Amazing. They have a 99% high school graduation rate. This is a community that was intentionally designed for individuals of low income, where they have a school system, they have a, um, a grocery store, they have um, training, um, job placement, and mm. so on. And people are thriving mm. that live in those areas. Wow. So those are the type of economic programs that we need to allow individuals a chance at upward mobility. And so if we keep operating within this disadvantaged um, cycle that we have, we're going to continue the same right. and people are not going to be able to break that cycle. So it's going to take this intervention 
Um, and reparations is one way. Taking it back to the um, health healthcare system, um, you know, one of the recommendations we know that you and others have suggested is mandatory training for health professionals, right? Yes. Um, what are yes. some ex- examples and help us understand how those um, programs or, you know, initiatives might lead to better outcomes for, for Black people's sleep? Right. Um, so there are, there are a few initiatives. There are trainings such as unconscious bias, mm-hmm. uh, which is an online training that uh, physicians, um, as well as I would say staff, and we're not just talking about physicians, but staff and hospitals um, really should attend to help address some of these um, unconscious biases that we may possess um, that that cause us to discriminate against um, individuals. But the point is when you implement these programs where you make people aware of the biases that they possess, and then you set a structural policies at, within the healthcare system, within the workplace, that decreases the opportunity for discrimination, we can have better outcomes. And so we need more initiatives to train people of color mm-hmm. to uh, be able to go to med school and, or um, PA school or whatever um, school to pro- that's providing health care. Mm-hmm. We have evidence that shows that those individuals are more likely to treat those from the community and understand mm. their circumstances, right. Right? right? So for those that um, can, it's important for us to either um, educate ourselves on these um, circumstances or have um, community healthcare workers that work in the clinic. That is very important. Have look right. like the individuals that you are treating uh, that can talk to them and understand their circumstances work in the same environment. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few examples that the yeah. healthcare system can use in order to mitigate the harm that comes from being disconnected from mm-hmm. the experiences of people that don't look like them. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, Dr. Johnson, we are so appreciative of your time. We know you have to go. We squeezed every minute yeah. that we could out of this interview and we'd love to talk to you for a lot longer. But we're we're just really really appreciative yeah. of the work you do. You're you're spreading a lot of super important knowledge, and you know you're part of a movement of opening people's minds right now to all the effects of our of what our society does and has done, and uh, and what needs to be done. So we we really appreciate you and all your work. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I as you can tell, I get very energetic. I'm passionate about this topic. So I'm happy to contribute um, to hopefully spreading some awareness around the importance of sleep and some practical strategies that, um, that we can, that we can use in order to improve our sleep and have a better quality of life. So thank you uh, for having the foresight to even uh, come up with this uh, topic to discuss on your, your podcast. So thank you again for having me. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Yes, you're welcome. Be well. Man, Tony, I had no idea how deep this stuff was. Racism causes insomnia. How do you ever get any sleep at all? You know, that's it's a wonder. Now that I have this information, shit, I almost wish I, I didn't <laughs> know. But but you're right. Who 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 knew about this? You know, on the one hand, it's pretty nuts and hard to believe. But on the other hand, it makes sense. Right. Uh, You know, it's a natural result, a natural byproduct of the structures that were designed to suppress and control black folks. Right. So um, played out to its logical conclusion. You know, we're right where things were set up to be, you know. Yeah. And, you know, she's talking about how these little everyday so-called microaggressions with maybe more subtle forms of racism and stuff that, you know, you guys are dealing with every single day, how that can keep people up at night, just recounting stuff and thinking about shit and thinking about uh, what, what happened, what, what I could have said, what I should have said. Um, and then that, that being a source of, you know, stress and worry as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, uh, and then saying something like, damn, you know, I don't know if I should, should have kept my cool. Shouldn't have said something. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, there's an internal struggle that, you know, a lot of black folks, particularly black folks that are proximate to, to whiteness or, you know, mm. in interacting with white people on some regular basis. It's just a, it can be a tricky terrain to navigate. Put it this way. I never knew just how much 
white privilege was helping me when it came to sleep. Like whatever I might sometimes get insomnia or, or sit up thinking about something that I can't get off my mind. There's a whole lot I don't have to get off my mind, like what it's going to be like when I get in my car and drive on the street and hope I don't see a police officer or, right. you know, dealing with people at a meeting at work where I'm going to experience some subtle forms of racism. It's like, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I had no idea about a lot of this stuff, just how, how deep it ran. Well, and you certainly know that if you do have a case of insomnia, it's not based on being white. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. That's, that's for damn sure. Yeah. But, you know, as, as I was going through um, Dr. Johnson's, um, her, her remarks, you know, and all the information you provided, it, it brought to mind for me a, a lyric from one of Marvin Gaye's songs, Inner City Blues. Mm. You know, there's a passage where he says, you know, make me want to holler the way they do my life make me want to holler and throw up both my hands. Right. Uh, you know, and just, and just um, capturing the, the, the essence of, damn, I just want to scream sometimes, you know, not all the time, yeah. not every day, but, but, but enough. Um, and so I can, I can imagine how that gets, I know how that gets internalized and how that can result in, you know, less sleep and, and lower quality of sleep. Yeah. So one of the things Dr. Johnson talked about that was super interesting is that race is a made up fiction, right? Used to justify mm -hmm. centuries of slavery and subjugation and barbaric treatment of people. Yep. So the sleep gap between black and white people, it's important to remember that this has nothing to do with biology. Biology is not an issue here. Mm -hmm. We're all human beings, right? Yep. We have the same DNA that it's all from racism. It's all from people made problems. And you know, I, I've noticed like in the in the medical field and you read some scientific papers about like the difference between black patients and white patients, mm -hmm. there's still a lot of confusion on the part of doctors and scientists thinking that there's some big genetic difference that needs to be, you know, teased out when yes. really like, like Dr. Johnson says that different outcomes are not because of genetics. They're right. because of racism. You know, another key point that Dr. Johnson raised, um, which I found interesting, is we're talking about segregation and discrimination you know, on a societal level, right, that cuts across multiple areas of our lives, housing, right, where people live, education, you know, where people go to school, what kind of schooling they get, jobs, you know, credit, right, access to credit, banking, healthcare, um, criminal legal system, you know, who's mm -hmm. getting stopped by police for what, who's getting prosecuted at what levels, and who's yep. not. Um, so, you know, when you understand it in that way, and when Dr. Johnson breaks it down in that way, it's not surprising. It's right. It's not hard to understand how all that coming together could impact people's sleep. So let's talk some reparations here. What needs to be done to start fixing just this one issue of sleep, right? And um, Dr. Johnson had some great things to say about that. You know, she points out that you can't get around the fact we need massive investment, which means we, the people paying for it, our government paying mm -hmm. for massive infusion for housing, for jobs, for neighborhoods to start repairing these, like you say, macro things at the societal level, yep. um, which, you know, some cities and some neighborhoods uh, have started doing. And there, there are some exciting programs that, that are being tried already. But dealing with poverty, dealing with structural racism will go a long ways. It's obviously going to deal with a lot of other problems, but sleep is one of them, as she says. Absolutely. We should also mention an amazing artist and writer named Trisha Hersey. She has a book called Rest is Resistance, and she's also known as the Nap Bishop. She's all about claiming rest and claiming sleep, uh, especially uh, on the part of black Americans, uh, really as a form of protest, you know, protesting against the, the crazy grind culture, like you mentioned, that we're all expected to be part of in this capitalist insanity uh, and the white supremacy of our country, too, where people of color in particular are supposed to just keep grinding away. Well, one call to action, for, particularly for um, black folks, is, you know, let's give ourselves the privilege to, to nap, you know, to rest, right? Um, and yourself or your partner, your parents, your kids, your, your, your you know, your crew. Hmm. Um, studies show that even just 15 to 20 minutes can do, can do wonders, yeah. Psychologically, if we can, you know, do take some even small steps to free ourselves from the guilt that's associated with that. Right. We've mm. we've you know, um, many of us have tried so hard to to defy the myth that black people are, you know, are, you know, lazy and, you mm. know, just sitting around that, you know, we, we you know, work ourselves to death. Um, right. And as the Nat Bishop and some others have said that, you know, rest can be an act 
of resistance, an act of restoration, right, an act of repair. Um, and, you know, what I'd like to maybe add to that is that consider that, you know, we owe it to the ancestors to do what mm. they were not allowed to do, right? They didn't have a choice. Um, and, and, and many of us, some of us don't in terms of people that are working multiple jobs, but there are many of us who do that we can say time out, you know, I'm going to take a 15 mm-hmm. minute nap, mm-hmm. shit, even at the gig, you know, um, <laughs> you know, you get a, you get a lunch break, you get a, you know, meal break or, a, mm-hmm. you know, whatever bathroom break to take a quick yeah. nap and, 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 and just chill, but, but do it in, with intentionality. Right. And with the sense right. of, yeah, I'm doing this, um, to say sneaking my, or something. Yeah, it's yeah. not, not sneaking around. It's not, it's, you know, it's like, I'm, this is, I'm, I'm evening the, 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 the playing field in my own, my own way. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's one potential call to action if folks are, are interested in taking that on, even as a week-long experiment or a month-long ex- experiment mm. to see how that goes. And for our white listeners, uh, as with a lot of other things, it's all about being a good ally and cutting down on our own small acts of racism. Yes, I said it, uh, which we all have. We've all been infected by. There's no getting around it. Um, and also calling out when you see other stuff going on. And it won't take long to find this stuff. It comes up all the time. You know, if you're a white doctor or nurse or work at any business for that matter, and there's a black customer, you know, give them a little extra respect and attention. Uh, It won't hurt you. And if you're lucky, you might just get to even with that. (gasps) And, you know, if you see other white people backsliding, call it out. Uh, You know, we can do this easily. It's just a little discomfort at the conflict, but that's kind of the discomfort we need to start cultivating more, right? (laughs) If we want to change how things are. Uh, and you never know, you might give a black person an extra five minutes of sleep, which is kind of worth a lot. It's like another snooze button. Yeah, man, I don't know about you, but I'm worn out. I think I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah, not a bad idea. I'm, I'm going to try to be an ally and then go take a nap, too. <laughs> All right, you do that. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Pay the Tab. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you like what we're putting down, share it with your family and friends. And please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is the best way you can help us to get the word out with this show. So please check that out and give us some love. Thanks for listening. Keep coming back to Pay the Tab. Time to pay, pay the dab.